I started a very quick series about worship. I didn't necessarily plan on it becoming multiple parts, but as with any um, topic in Scripture that's this vast and broad, it's very easy that when you when you hop into it, it just goes and goes and goes and goes. And so we could ultimately spend many, many months on the topic of worship and uh, last week we began that. I, I want to finish it today, but before I do that, I want to bring you up to speed. There may be some of you that were not here, or you just happened to sleep once between last Sunday and this Sunday, and you need a refresher on what we even talked about. So let me just give you some of the bigger takeaways about last week, and then I'll finish it up this, this week. We started last week just talking about the principle of worship and asking the question, are we worshiping more from how we were taught or are we worshiping more from a place in our heart that is, that is longing for God, longing for the presence, um, just wanting to give Him something of ourselves? We took a text in Genesis 4 where Cain and Abel together decide to bring a sacrifice. You know the, uh, the story. Abel brings um, a first of his flock, while Cain brings fruits. And the Bible says that God showed Abel favor, but did not show Cain favor. And uh, again, the way we look at that is that the sacrifice or the worship uh, unto our God has to have a life in it. And that's why Cain's was rejected, because this was a beginning theme that, uh, you know, transcends all through Scripture, weaves its way uh, through there all the way to the cross and now to the modern church, is that our worship, our sacrifice of praise has to have a life in it. It has to be attached uh, to an emotional construct. And so then um, we talked about the connection that has to be had between what we are giving and who we're giving it to, all right? So I talked about just the common uh, things of when you present a gift to someone, you go out, you buy a gift, and you're wanting it to be symbolic of the type of feeling you have for that person. And when they receive it, they interpret that gift as such. So there's a connection between what you have to give and who you're giving it to, and that connection is actually greater than the gift that's being presented. It's all about the, the, the connection there, so think about that in terms of your worship. Then uh, we went on to talk about in the modern church how we have, have taught, including myself, and or we've allowed um, the ability uh, for people to fall into a pattern of worship preference or a worship style rather than teaching the practice of worship that's just found in Scripture, like just teaching how worship was unveiled and unfolded within Scripture and then teaching that as a worship practice rather than saying, well, what do you want to do? Then let's do that. And uh, I talked about how there are many now uh, denominations, movements, ideas, entire uh, theology streams that teach and preach a certain preference for worship 
and say, if you want to come here, this is how we're going to worship. And uh, I had a good question about that last week, and I'll hop into that in just a minute. But um, I did go through the Hebrew ways of worship. I want to give those to you uh, in, uh, real quick so that you can uh, have a refresher again about last week. So these are all uh, Hebrew ways that are mentioned in Scripture. So here, here they are. Halal, which was to celebrate. It's where we get the word hallelujah. There was yada, which was an extension of the hands. And this extension was upward. It was to reach high. It wasn't to reach out to a resource or to a friend or to food or to anything else. It was, it was an upward reach to, to God as, as to say, uh, I'm reaching up to you and for you. Third was todah, which was to give thanks for things that I have not yet received. So I'm going to praise you for my family. I'm going to praise you for our children. I'm going to praise you for our grandchildren. I'm going to praise you for rescuing uh, me financially. I'm going to praise you for what you're going to do in our church. I'm going to praise you on and on and on for things that have not yet happened. It actually extends from a spiritual gift of faith. I believe you, therefore I'm going to praise you for something I don't even have yet. Then there was Shabak, which is to praise with a loud voice or loud clapping. Oftentimes these are in combination with each other. So if you were to say hallelujah really loud, it, it would be a halal and Shabak. Okay? And then there's Barak, which was to kneel or bow. It was always a state of lowliness, of humility, of to say I'm just going to get low in the presence of God. Then there was McCall, which was to dance or to leap. I referenced Acts chapter 3 um, when he says, Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And the man went walking and leaping and praising God. Uh, that was McCall. Then there was Tehillah, which was to sing a new song. The, that, that phrase, a new song, really means with spontaneity. I'm just going to start singing from my heart, from what I feel about you. I used the example of Miriam once they crossed the Red Sea. She just started singing a song, a new song to God. That's Tehillah. Then there was Zamar, which is anytime you're playing an instrument. I talked about how this was so important with the, uh, with the uh, Israelites um, that when they went into captivity, they got so depressed that they hung their instruments in the trees and just said, I give up. And so all of these things, Halal, Yada, Toda, Shabbat, Barak, Mikal, Tehillah, and Zamar were all these biblical ways of worshiping. I told you there were 180 references to these throughout Scripture. So I want to pick up from there, and I want to talk not just about the historical context of worship, but right now. So when we consider worship and we have a worship service, this looks so different for everybody, right? So um, I talked last week about how all of us grew up in a particular denomination, probably a high percentage of us because you're in the Bible Belt. That statistically raises that. Um, there's a lot of denominations within the Bible Belt, so that raises that. Statistically, about 90% of you were raised in church 
and you were raised in a mainstream denomination. That denomination taught you specific things in particular ways and had a culture about them, and none of that is, is wrong. So it was just like saying this is how our minds think, how we view theology and Scripture, and so if you come here, this is how we're going to teach it. And what we ended up doing, though, was separating each other out in that and saying, now, just because we worship this way, it makes it the right way, and that's where it became wrong. So it was like um, uh, we started firing shots at each other, which the enemy loved. So for centuries, we said, you know, we're going to raise our hands, and you're not going to raise your hands, so we're going to say, stick them up, and we're going to do it from the other side. That was funny, and you guys are still asleep. But we taught, you know, hey, there's certain ways, and we're probably right, and you're probably wrong, but, you know, you just keep being sweet and cute, and the Lord's going to turn that around in, in your heart. And I think we got to do away with that whole teaching, that whole view, and say to ourselves that worship is not about a denomination. It's not about a particular teaching that is preferred or that is more comfortable to you. Worship is about how you feel about your God and the way you demonstrate a gift to him. It's how you present your life to him and give your life to him, and that is worship. So we have to stop looking for a sign of it or a symbol of it or a preference of it and just be worshipers, okay? So, and you guys know, know, know this, but I grew up in the Pentecostal church. We're obviously very demonstrative. It was a lot of fun growing up. Every service was real exciting, as you can imagine. Some of the best musicians in the world come out of the Pentecostal church, uh, especially organ players and drummers. We can put those people out. And so uh, we had a lot of them. I, I remember being in services that were so long, our drummers would rotate because they were tired. So after 30, 40 minutes, you'd see them changing, and a guy would get up, and he would use one leg to keep the bass drum going while the other guy slid in and took over, and he would just walk out. And you're like, man, did they practice that? It was that the Holy Spirit? Because that was pretty awesome. And um, so lots of percussion, lots of excitement. And uh, I, I love that environment. I love the, the halal and barak type environments. However, there are some environments that are, 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 are low and reverent and stillness and quiet and just be to yourself and recluse inward. And that is just as powerful as the services that I grew up attending. And so the thing is, don't try to brand yourself as, well, I'm this or I'm that. Um, listen, worship makes you a Christian. It doesn't just make you a charismatic. You know? And so some people are like, well, I don't, I don't want to look charismatic. Well, it's got nothing to do with charisma. It's got everything to do with your heart, though. So again, we need to be bringing something to God, bringing something to Him that has life to it, and there's a big important question that people ask a lot. I get, I get asked a lot throughout the years about worship, especially when people come here and they go, well, this isn't the way, you know, I grew up worshiping. 
Um, they want to know where may, maybe maybe hymn books are, and that's respectful. Or, you know, hey, these are new songs. I haven't heard this before. Um, or, you know, why why do we play something so loud? Or, you know, I mean, we've had all kinds of questions over the years. So how do we know what's right? Like, how do we know what's pleasing? If I frame that into this message, it would be, how do I keep from being Cain? You know, how do I, how do I keep from bringing something forward that I think is good, but that doesn't have the favor of God on it? So how do we know what's right? Well, let's talk about this for just a second. I think for me, as I would teach this, I would sum it up with just a, one prim, primary statement, and it would be this. Worship has everything to do with what the Spirit is doing. And you got to take pause here when you talk about this because um, I find this to be somewhat comical within religion in and of itself is that you can preach all day long about Father God. You can talk about Father God. You can talk about creation. You can talk about Old Testament power. You can talk about, about his, his love. You can talk about all the emotions you see within the Old Testament about how he judges this and how he loves deeply here and how he annihilated this type of behavior. And you can talk about that, and everybody's fine with it. You can talk about Jesus, and everyone's great. You know, talk about the sacrifice. Talk about his interaction with man. Talk about the miracles. Talk about all the things that Jesus did. No one ever has a problem with that. But when you start talking about what the Spirit is doing, people are like, now hang on a second. I want to make sure, I mean, it's like ears go up and people get nervous and they get anxious. And I'm going to tell you why. You get nervous and anxious because you watched too much Christian television. So you think the Spirit is all about weirdness and oddness and being a charismatic and people falling on the floor and preachers shoving people over and you doing stuff that you don't want to do. And those videos are out there. And does that happen? Yeah. And does it get attributed to the Holy Spirit? Yeah. But does that make it right? No. And so we've got to be willing to take a look at the interaction of the Spirit in our lives and what He does and how He blesses the church and His role within worship. When God's people are together, He is there, and there is an agenda which is to get us to move closer to the Father. That's the opportunity we have when, when we're together. It's not just about a social reward, which is awesome. I love seeing you. I love hanging out with you. I love catching up with you. I love talking to you. I love seeing your kids. I love hearing you laugh. I love all those social rewards. But when we come together, there's also a spiritual implication that God is trying to move us from A to B and us become more and more unified and more and more together, more and more toward Jesus Christ, knowing more, doing more, just the unification by the Spirit. And that often happens within our worship. So we worship together because of that unity, the Holy Spirit comes. We sense Him in, in a very tangible way. 
So for some of you, that comes in the form of tears. Some of you are moved, like you'll, you'll close your eyes because you realize it's a moment of reverence. Some of you will lift a hand. Some of you will bow a head. Some of you will just, you will, will, will become what many scholars call centered. And so you will just kind of start to forget about the day and the week and the frustrations of life. And in that moment of the presence of the Holy Spirit, you become centered now and refocused on your life's existence. It's a powerful moment within church. So when there's unity of spirit, it changes the atmosphere of a space. Okay, let me say that a, a again. When we're in unity of spirit, it changes the atmosphere of a space. Now, if, if you don't think that there's atmospheres of a space, let me just give you a few examples. I have, there, there is a huge difference, let's just say this, between um, a funeral service and you going to a concert at Simmons Arena. Those are two completely different venues, different goals, uh, different environments. And the thing that sets those apart is that the people who attend them are fully aware they are different. A funeral home does not generate an environment on its own. The people who enter it, enter it with certain expectations. So they, they come in with a sense of respect or stillness or quietness. And it, it forms, the people start to whisper. And they look around like, can, I, can we laugh? Like, can we tell a story about this person that's funny and laugh about her? Is that inappropriate? Those people are driving that. But let's say you go to Simmons Arena and you go see Chris Stapleton. No one's whispering. Everybody's singing the lyrics. They got their hands up. They are yelling and screaming. Some of them acting completely bizarre and inappropriate. But it's because of that environment. And you don't switch them. Imagine Chris Stapleton going out and being like, Hey, he looks at his guitar. Hey, Little Rock, what's going on? And everybody's like, we're good. It's good. And he's singing his songs. He's turned to the bed. He's like, I don't, I don't know what's going on in here. It's the weirdest place ever. And they're just like, oh, that was a beef. They are setting an atmosphere based upon their expectation. Let's bring that to church for just a minute. If we believe in the beauty of our God, in the incredibleness of the story, in how you and I were rescued, saved, redeemed, add all the wording there that means something to you, and we bring that together into the house of the Lord, there should be an expectation of our gathering. This is why I believe in Acts the church was growing because they were generating an atmosphere, and I'm going to go a step further. They were generating an atmosphere of miracles. They expected them. They wanted them. 
They prayed for them. They believed for them. And when they came together, they broke bread and they worshipped and they, they were just together and had all things in common. And the Holy Spirit blessed that and people's lives were transformed. But I will tell you this, I have left a church service before, not here of course, and I have got in my car and said, that felt like a funeral in there. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I would worry all afternoon you were talking about here. But we go, man, that was, that was rough. Like there was no unity, there was no spirit, there was no worship, there was no atmosphere. So what, what is going on? It's, it's unity of spirit. It's what, how do we know what's right? What is the spirit doing? That's what's right. I'm going to give you an, an, a crazy example. A few weeks ago was spring break, and we did this three-city stint. We started by going to uh, Biltmore in Asheville, went, went through that, and then we went to Nashville, and then we ended at Oxford. And so when we were in Nashville, uh, Riley and a friend, they were like, we want to hear some live music. So like, like um, I have to be careful because, you know, I talk so poorly of people over Easter. I have to be careful here. But... We chose uh, tickets. They, they, were, they had tickets available to the Grand Ole Opry. So we went, and it's, it's a live radio show, and so you can tell the host is talking to an online audience, and, and they have all this diversity, and so they started with like a bluegrass band, which was awesome, and then uh, they went into just, they had a, a comedian there, and it was just like a, a diverse show. But Stephen Curtis Chapman was there, and I was telling uh, Craig and David this, and so he comes out, Y'all, he turned that place into a church like that. I was like, man, if I had that gift right there, it'd be awesome. He came out, and he sings that song about dancing with his daughter. You know, I mean, it was he just had them eating out of his hand. People were crying, Kleenexes, and then he just he stops at, at the end, and he says, you know, for those of you, he's still playing. I mean, it's, just, it's worship service. People are standing up, and he's like, you know, if you know anything about my life, you know I'm a person of faith, and he just starts to minister. He said, man, I hope that if you're here tonight and you need that, that you can latch on to that same. I was like, this. This is just insane. Stephen Curtis Chapman just turned the Grand Ole Opry into First Baptist Church of Nashville. He did. And I gave my heart to the Lord. I did. I want you to know, I went out back, I was baptized immediately. I said, I'm a pastor, this is terrible. Why? Because he was in step with the Spirit, right? So there is a right time to utilize ways of worship. And Paul is struggling with this when he's beginning to teach the church about spiritual gifts. He's teaching them a principle about timing. He's teaching them like, hey, there's context. Uh, just because you got a sword, you don't use it to spread butter with on your sandwich. There's, there's, there's timing. You got to use things in the right way, and it's got to be wielded the right way. And so it's not just that you have that gift or you have that longing. You've got to do it within the right context for it to really have favor on it and really be blessed. 
to give you a reference for that when he's teaching the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts. In 1 Corinthians 14, I believe he breaks it down in verse 7, but I'm paraphrasing here, but he basically says, I, I speak in tongues more than any of you, but I prefer five of my own words with understanding when I'm in the church. He uses that phrase. When in the church... I choose to have five words of my own understanding that I might teach someone. So he's saying there, there's a context. He said, I have the spiritual gift, but I know when to use it. And so this really should raise our antennas that, that whether it's spiritual gifts or worship, the Spirit is moving and our role is to respond to that and to worship accordingly, and to minister accordingly as the Holy Spirit is doing it. Let me give you a scripture. Galatians 5.25, he says, If we live by the Spirit, then let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So the context of this, and you need to read this whole chapter to really see it unfold, but the context here is basically this. He's saying, you have the Spirit in you. It's a good thing. It's a great thing. However, you need to keep in step with, the, with what He's doing and what He's wanting. Because if you just do what you want and what you think is great and what you think is right, then it could totally destroy a gathering and people could lose out on what God is wanting to do in the same sense and we, we call this the sin of omission if you disobey what the Holy Spirit is doing it could also set off the fact that someone could be blessed by the fact that you needed to minister to them and I, I just want to pause here and pastor for 60 seconds if you're in this place and the Holy Spirit ever tells you, I want you to go and pray for this person over here, would you please do that? Would you please do that? Don't wait on your pastoral team to do the pastoring. There's an anointing on your life and a blessing on your life and a calling on your life. And we've tried so long to separate, well, this is ministry and this is marketplace. Just trash all of that and just be in step with the Spirit. When we are ministering to each other, it's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing. So let me give you a few examples. Y'all, I am out of time. I'm on my first point. When we go to the summer schedule and we have one service at 10, y'all better get ready. I'm going to preach an hour. Bring a lunchbox. <laughs> I had a pastor one time. He'd say that all the time. I hope y'all brought a bag of food with you today because I got a sermon. <laughs> I was like, oh boy, here we go. Let me try and finish this one point. I guess we're going to have part three next week. If we're worshiping, okay, and someone kneels, let's just say someone turns around in their seat, or someone comes forward and kneels down, is that appropriate? Yes. If we're worshiping and someone just begins to just say, God, I just... I thank you for what you've done for me. I just pray to you. I just love you, but it's not a lyric on the screen. Is that appropriate? Sure it is. If you're worshiping and someone raises their hands, is that appropriate? Yeah. Stay with me because I'm, I'm not being funny here. But if, if, if a person takes a neon flag 
that says pray for Israel and they start running around the church with it, is that appropriate? I love, I love this because you're wanting me to say what it is. I'm to, no, it's not. Now, if we were having a conference for Israel and we were teaching and we were trying to create that, then yeah. If you're being asked to do it and it's appropriate, then sure, you could bring a flag. But if it is like, oh my goodness, I don't know that I can even worship right now. You have to discern, is that someone trying to gain attention or is that someone presenting a gift to God? And you say, man, that is such a slippery slope. It is. Because you want to be careful because for some of you, the way you were raised, just lifting a hand is make, makes you nervous. Just the thought of someone kneeling when no one else is kneeling makes you nervous. So this is why it's important to know what is the Spirit doing. Let me end with this, with this one thing, and this is how I'll transition next, next week. Whoever's playing keys today, you can go ahead and come. How do we know that we've worshipped? I want to end with, with a, just a, a quip here by Robert Morris. He's the pastor at Gateway Church. He's also one of our overseers at New Life. This is how he broke this down to us one time. This is what he said. He said, we live a life of control, okay? All week long, we, we are controlling. We, we, we control our home environments. We're setting cultures there. We're telling our children how they're going to behave. We're in control over our, our projects at work, right? We have deadlines. We have things that we're responsible for, and we are putting our hands on that and, and controlling that. We are managing the time. Some of you, you manage people. You have to be in control of budgets, of people, of projects. And if you're not, then your life as you know it has, has a, a big speed bump. So you're in, in control. We're in control of how we look. Like you got up. You chose those clothes that you have on today. You chose to shower or wait another day. You are constantly in control. You'll be in control of what you eat for lunch. And so he says this, that control and the drive for it and the management of it, and I'm not talking about anything sinful here, it's just how humanity works, sits heavy on us. And he, Robert Moore says, if you go into a service and you are in control and you leave in control. And there was never a moment in between those two points where you surrendered that you did not worship. If, there, if there's not a moment that you take and say, God, it is all yours again. My life, my marriage, my children, my finance. If this, this all belongs to you, 
I want to steward it well. I want to give you glory in it. But God, right now, I choose to, I, I choose to just set down control. And I just want to worship you right, right now. I just want to surrender it. And then whatever that looks like for you. The kneeling, the standing, the clapping, the hallelujah, the lifting of a hand. I surrender. Can I share one, one more thing? I don't care about the 11 o'clock service. I'm kidding. When I was a kid, I saw this. There was a guy that went, went to our church. He was a businessman. He's very wealthy. If I told you the name of the, of the company that he still, that he left behind, you'd be like, oh, I know exactly who that is. And he had a, a, a hairdo that we call a comb over. And if you don't know what that means, it's when all your hair in the middle has gone, you grow one side out long, and you comb it over. And he did a great job at it. He was professional. His, he always, I mean, we, we grew up wearing suits to church. He always had a nice tie and suit, and he was put together. And his car was always clean. He was always professional. He was always in the foyer, just like loving people. He was just this guy. But when it came time to worship, I mean, I, I just, he was like, he was like this. You know, he was just like, this always, he always had that professionalism on, turned on all the time. And one day, I, I was a kid when I saw this. He always sat near near the back. And we were having this type of service. The atmosphere was kind of like, like, like this, just kind of simple and, and reverent. And he got up from his seat and stepped out in the aisle, and he started walking up the aisle. It's not uncommon, the church I grew up in. And he got about five or six rows up, and he took his comb over, and he raked it the other way. And he let it fall down his side of his head. And people were just, <gasps> not, I'm going to tell you something. He was in his right mind. This was not a mental breakdown. It was the breaking of pride. When he did it, I mean, he started crying. And he went forward and he sat on, the, on an altar facing the stage. And before it was over, he had both hands in his hair. And he was just doing this. And it was like, for him, it was so symbolic. Like, like I've let my hair and my image and how people perceive me just get in the way. And, you know, from that moment forward, his worship was so, I mean, it was life-giving. It changed his life to mess up his comb-over. This is being in step and saying, God, I surrender. I'm out of control, and I give it to you.